Well, if you would take your Bible, uh, I want to do something a little different this morning, and I'm so glad I, I am. It's the ministry expo, as you know, as you saw the tent out there. And it's communion. I had one more message in Daniel. I'll save that for when I get back. Um, I really, I, I, I did want to do that, but I just kept thinking it's expo day today, number one, knowing my time would be a little bit more briefer, but it's, it's communion today. And so we have the privilege to partake of the, the Lord's table, communion itself, and then so I'm just excited. So I want to, I want to, I just one desire this morning is as we approach the Lord's table, it is this, it is to unfold the powerful doctrine found in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 10. So would you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10? I want to prepare us for the Lord's table, as you can see. If you're a guest with us, you're welcome. If you're in Christ, to partake of this table. And so the more I thought about Ministry Expo, we've been doing this as long as I've been here. We're in a, I'm in my 11th year, and, uh, and usually I'm telling you what you need to do and be part of our body, and that's wonderful, and we could do that, I could do that, but I... My heart was to take you back to the person of Christ, back to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, back to what he has done in his life and death and resurrection. And this is the truest motivation anyways. You should be motivated to serve the Lord out of joy, not out of hardship, because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you, right? All ministry, even to see 15 guys, including Carly Woods, right? As she leads the women's portion of that in a Bible study, all of that flows out of our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I make no, I make no other means here that when you're growing in your walk with the Lord and in your maturity into Jesus Christ, it will be the absolute joy and privilege, privilege of your life to serve out of that overflow. So let me take you to Mark chapter 10 and remind you, I don't want to say of a simple truth, but a profound truth. One that the grace groups need to unpack in a greater way. If you will, look at verse 37. He said to these disciples, go back to 35, James and John, 1035, the sons of Zebedee came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one on your right and one on your left in glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand or my left is not mine to grant. It is for those whom, for it, for whom it has been prepared. And so 
Jesus said, then look down in verse 45. For even the Son of Man, here's our scripture, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. May God bless the reading of his word. It is that little but powerful phrase to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom for many. What is church family, church leaders, Bible study leaders, children, what does it mean that he's our ransom? That, what does it mean that he gives his life as a ransom for many? What did our Lord ransom us from? What did he ransom for us even? He rans- ransoms us from something and he rans- ransoms us. How does he do that? Maybe you've been in Christ briefly, but on the other hand, you've maybe been for many of you many years in the Lord. What is the significance of Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Let me walk us through that as it leads into the Lord's table and as it puts us outside at the ministry expo. Just three items. It's meaning of ransom. It's means, how did he do that? And then maybe it's miracle of what was accomplished. I think I want to bring this to you because I don't want to let 1045 of Mark ever die in this place. We don't ever want to lose sight of the atonement. I don't want to ever lose sight of the significance of his death on our behalf. Frankly, I don't want to lose sight of his suffering and I don't want to lose sight of his blood that was shed for you individually. And here is the great text. First, it's meaning, okay? The word ransom, let me build this just for a moment. And I'm, I'm, there, is, there is much ink spilled on this, but I will try to do so in an economy of words. That word ransom in other scriptures is translated redemption, at least the root of the word. So whether we're looking at its meaning here first, its meaning, its ransom, it's also redemption. And the the thought here of this great word is to buy back. It's what the word means. It's the ideal of to release. And in every case that it is used, ransom or the ideal of redemption speaks of one being delivered by the payment of a price. And the emphasis of this concept of ransom is that the person, whatever it might be, and I'll explain this in a moment, is in a horrible predicament. The person is in a horrible, pitiful condition. And ransom presupposes some kind of bondage, some kind of enslavement, some type of captivity. The word was used 
Maybe some of you remember in the redeeming of a slave from the marketplace. A slave could be redeemed and that slave would be redeemed by a price. It was used to redeem a prisoner of war from captivity. That prisoner is in captivity. Someone is going to pay a ransom to free that prisoner. In the Old Testament, uh, property was redeemed. Animals could be redeemed. Persons could be redeemed at the payment of a price. Nations at times were redeemed. As we're studying in Daniel, God Almighty will redeem Israel from Babylonian captivity. But all of these things, and they are redeemed or ransomed, they are released, if you will, by a payment of a price. And usually in the scripture, that payment is very costly. Now let me communicate just a little bit of the the imagery here of the term and even the metaphors and the accomplishment of the death of Christ on our behalf. The, The Bible is just so full of different imagery and words that communicate. Sometimes the Bible speaks of the atonement in terms of sacrifice. In other words, that word sacrifice, Christ, is directed to the need, our need, created by our sin and our guilt. We're sinful, we're guilty, he is our sacrifice. There is another word, and we've studied it, so just to mention it, is the word propitiation. It's used in 1 John chapter 2. The need for our propitiation is directed at the need that arises from the wrath of God. God's wrath must be satisfied, and so Christ died to propitiate our sins or to appease our sins before a holy God. And our sins have been propitiated in Christ or satisfied in Christ on the cross. And the reason that's significant is you don't have to be left wondering if your sins have been removed. The truth is they've been removed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He not only was your sacrifice, but he's propitiated your sin. Don't be afraid of those words. Those are biblical words. Then there's another word in the atonement, reconciliation. And we just understand that, that it is directed to the needs that arise out of our alienation from God. We are sons of the devil. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. You need to be reconciled and God's gonna accomplish that, Ephesians 2, through his death. But here we come to our word, ransom. And it presupposes your bondage, your captivity, It is a redemption, if you will, that implies and states directly that a ransom is being paid to secure your freedom, and it is the payment for the purpose of deliverance. Let me see if I could capture it this way. Just as a sacrifice is directed toward the need created by our guilt, 
Propitiation is directed to the need that arises out of God's holy standard in his wrath. Reconciliation is directed to the need arising from our alienation toward God. So too, your redemption, if I put it in that language, is directed to the bondage upon which your sin has buried you. That your sin has held you in that bond. It has enslaved you. In fact, if you're not even in Christ this morning, you need to be delivered. You need to be ransomed from your sin. In the book of Exodus, God described um, a number of laws in order to promote justice within the nation. I just mentioned this. If you write it down, it's fine. Exodus 21. It was in the case where a man uh, who owned an ox and that ox gored someone to death. The animal was to be put to death. The owner, at least at that point, went unpunished. But in Exodus 21, if that ox had a habit of goring people and the owner had been warned and did not confine the ox, the ox then killed again, the ox was to die and the owner was to be put to death. He was to be put to death in Exodus 21 because he should have been responsible and he had been warned with what happened before. You say that's very stiff, yes, but there was an out because later in Exodus 21, it says if a ransom is demanded of him, he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is demanded of him. In other words, there was an out, but he had to pay the ransom. And if the ransom was paid, he could go free. The death sentence no longer, you know, if you will, hung over him. He would be delivered from death by the payment of a price. In every situation, the ransom was a costly intervention. But it is not just a simple release. It is the idea of, as I've mentioned, the payment of a price. And every time that payment was made, it was substitutionary in nature. So there's its meaning, deliverance by payment of a price. But beloved, as we come to the New Testament, there is a striking difference from the New Testament compared to the Old Testament. The plight from which we are redeemed at least in that word, or ransomed, is not material in nature. It is not animals. It is not property. It is not of a slave. It is not of a prisoner. But the meaning has a moral element attached to it. So I take you from its meaning, secondly, to its means. What, what, is it, what does it mean? Well, here in 1045, it says to give his life as a ransom for many. The means of your ransom, the means of your redemption, especially if you're an eighth grader or a seventh grader or a ninth grader, whatever it might be, you need to be ransomed. You need to be redeemed. And here the means is that Christ delivers us from that by a payment, if you will, of a price. 
and the price was his very own life. This is the gospel, his very own death. You, beloved, myself, are in bondage. Here's the gospel. A death sentence has been pronounced on you. And Christ, if you will, in the gospel, in his life and death, is delivering you. You say, why would I need deliverance? Why do I need to be ransomed? Why do I need to be redeemed? Here it is, because you are in bondage to sin. And you cannot extricate yourself. There is nothing you can do in your own righteousness, you know this, by your own deeds, but nevertheless, You've got to be redeemed. You've got to be ransomed because you stand before God guilty. You might say redeemed or ransomed from what? And the truth is, is from sin. From sin itself. For as many, Paul said in Galatians 3.10, are of the works of the law, if that's you, if you've done the works of the law and you're trying to do righteousness, Galatians 3.10 says you are under a curse. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. You realize, you say, well, I'm a good person. Well, the, the law's gonna bring out your sin. It's going to bring out righteousness. It's one of the purposes once you're in Christ. But before you're in Christ, the law is going to judge you. The law is going to condemn you. Sometimes Patty and I will watch little videos from Living Waters. Ray Comfort, and we had Mark Spence here. And Ray Comfort is just an evangelist and he's out there with his cell phone. Comes up to people, usually at Huntington Beach Pier. Uh, my name's Ray. Have you sinned? <laughs> well, actually, I'm a, I'm a good person. So you're a good person. Have you heard of the Ten Commandments? Yes, I have. He would say, have you lied? Yes, I have. Have you committed adultery? Yes, I have. Are you greedy? Yes, I, I am. Have you loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And sure enough, in many cases, within 10 minutes, a grown man is in tears. Why? Because the law has slayed him. The law has exposed him. And Paul says, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. I mean, here's the simple truth, beloved. Divine judgment has been pronounced on you, me, because you are a lawbreaker. <laughs> you are a law. I just remember right now as I'm speaking, when I first realized I had sinned, at 14 years of age, and I knew I was toast on the spot. God opened my heart. What did he open my heart to? He exposed my sin. And when he exposed my sin, I knew I was in massive trouble. Listen, without deliverance from this curse, there could be no salvation. And it is from this curse that Christ has purchased 
his people, and the price of that purchase, his ransom, was himself. He became a curse for you. He paid your ransom from breaking the law. It says in Galatians 3.13, he redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. But I suppose I could say, having become a curse for you. For me, if you will. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Listen, beloved. He gives his life to die, to deliver you from a debt you could never pay. You, I, are in bondage to sin from which only the payment of a ransom can set us free. And that ransom is nothing less than the Messiah's own life. John Murray, in his brilliant work, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, said this of Christ, he became so identified with the curse resting upon his people that the whole of it and all of its unrelieved intensity became his. That curse, Murray said, he bore. That curse, he exhausted I love that. He did that for you. Let me see if I could put it in a biblical framework for you. There is one God, you know this in 1 Timothy 2, 5. You know, there's one God and there's one mediator between man and God. One mediator, not many, not Catholic priest forgiving your sin. There's one mediator between God and man and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Here it is in 1 Timothy 2, 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So this is intensely corporate for us today. We take communion together, but it's intensely personal. He gave himself as a ransom. So as we come to the Lord's table he did that for you. In the book of Titus in 2.14, it says, who gave himself for us. In other words, he takes your place. You can't extricate yourself. You can't do any works of the law. You are under a curse. And he came in the fullness of time and he gave himself for us. He becomes your substitute. He bears the wrath of God. He propitiates, appeases your sin, but he ransoms you back from, in this picture, enslavement to sin, in bondage to sin. Galatians 1.4, he gave himself for our sins. And he says that to the church there at Galatia, but he gave himself for your sins. He took your place. This is the significance of what he did. And I just am always thinking in the context as I read, they're talking about who the greatest is. Listen, I want to sit on your right. I want to sit on your left. Mark's gospel said it was their mama that came and asked Jesus that. And he says, oh no, I, that's not for me to give. But the Son of Man came not just to be served, but to serve and to give his life, what? 
a ransom for many. They're talking about who the greatest is, and he just says, follow my example. I'm I'm on my way to Jerusalem. For it says in Galatians 2.20, for I have been, you know that one, crucified with Christ, something like this. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who delivered himself up for me. Do your kids grasp that? Not asking you if they're a great athlete. Not asking you if they're great at academics. It's wonderful. Not asking if they're a great musician. Those are good. I'm asking you, do they understand this concept? Do they understand that we, they have sinned against a holy God? Would you turn in just a moment, for a moment, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Maybe a familiar word, but let me highlight it for you. In 1 Peter, excuse me, it's in chapter 1. 1 Peter, it's such a marvelous truth, but I fix on the words and the word that is mentioned there where he says, and I'll just even start at 17, and you call on him as father who judges impartially impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves, here's what he would say to us, with fear throughout this time of your exile, knowing, verse 18, that you were, here it is, ransomed, there's our word, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious, what, blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. What a great word. You were ransomed. You were ransomed in his death but you were ransomed specifically through his blood and we'll have the moment, the moment here to come to hold that cup and it's a symbol, is it not, of the blood that was shed for you. But there you see that you were, it says, ransomed not by mundane earthly things. You were ransomed, if you will, by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look just for a moment, turn back left just a few pages at Hebrews chapter 9. I fix your eyes on these scriptures because these are worthwhile for 15 grace groups who are doing this. In Hebrews chapter 9, remember there he's talking about the priesthood. He said, but when Christ, and I'm in Hebrews 9, 11, appeared, I love this, as a high priest, he's prophet, priest, and king of the good things that have come even through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands and that is not of this creation. He, unlike the other priest, entered once and for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves but by means, here it is, of his own blood, comma, thus securing, I love this word, an eternal, what? Redemption. And what you say, what does that mean, Scott? It's eternal. Obviously, he ransomed you. Obviously, he redeemed you. But here, it's eternal redemption because this life isn't all of it, is it? No. 
As you get older, you begin to see the world and the way it's made. You begin to see politics, in many cases, the way they're going. But when our Lord died on that cross and when you placed your faith in him, he not only redeemed you that moment, okay, but he has now gone into the holy place to give you in Hebrews 9, 12, eternal redemption. What is that? It is a new body. In glory, Romans 8. It is the hope of glory. It is the fulfillment of all that you're waiting for. So today, we give glory. We have joy because he's taken our sin from us. But one day, beloved, there is a fuller revelation of that. And if you've lost loved ones in the last year at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will give us a new body where there's no more nights, where there's no more sorrow, where there's no more sin, where there's no more anything that's evil because he will make all things new. And one of those aspects, he'll give you a new body. If you're there, just turn for a moment to Revelation. Revelation, you know, it's probably just by my intention. Revelation 5, I'm having you turn there. I don't know where the balance is, is if you could see it on the screen, then you don't have to use your Bible. But if you're visiting with us, we teach the Bible at every outlet we have. And so I'm turning you, and you remember this in Revelation chapter 5. Remember there in the scene in heaven, which is interesting, because when you get to chapter 4, the scene goes into heaven, but in chapter 5, do you remember this? When they're singing a new song, look at 5, well, go back to 8. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures in 5, 8, and the 24 elders before Christ fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowl, bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. What is it? Worthy are you the lamb, to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you, what, ransomed people for God from every tribe, from every language and people and nation. Couldn't be any clearer. You were slain and by your blood you ransomed. Here in 5.9, a people for God from all over. Here's what it says. You can, let me turn it to you. Go back to Galatians. Go back to Galatians. You say, well, Scott, what does this have to do with the ministry expo? Everything. <laughs> okay. In Galatians, in chapter 4, verse 4, you remember this phrase, but when the fullness of time had come for his birth, 4-4 four, four of Galatians, God sent forth his son, praise God, born of a woman, placed into the womb of a teenager, born under the law to, here's our word, redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, what? Adoption as sons. Wow, that's just glorious. I got to go back and be with my family I get to meet Scotty, who bears my name. When Johnny first told me that, I was waiting for him to laugh, and he didn't. Thrilled for that. It's great. It's wonderful, is it not, to be a parent, a grandparent, 
But listen, you have been adopted by God, amen? You're in his family. In fact, he was born under the law, verse five, to redeem, there's our word, those who were under the law. We were held in bondage, in captivity, so that he might receive us in this way. This is shocking, beloved, as we approach the Lord's table. Think about it in this way, of Christ. He was the light, and yet he hung in darkness on the cross. He was the life, yet he poured out his soul unto death for you. He was the son of God, and yet he died a felon's death for you. The Lord Jesus Christ, we know, was holy, undefiled, separated from sinners who knew no sin, but he was made sin when he took the guilty culprit's place and suffered in his stead. And the culprit is you, the culprit is I. He was the son, mighty God, and yet he became a man and was crucified through his weakness. He was the image, Colossians 1, 15, of the invisible God, yet his visage in Isaiah 53 was marred more than any man. The Bible says in Colossians that he was the fullness of the Godhead dwelling bodily in him, and yet for your sake he took on flesh and was made in the likeness of men. You think, well, Scott, I sometimes am not heard or listened to, but that's you, that's me. We're human. All I know with Christ is he spoke and it was done in creation, and yet he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a what? on a cross. This is incredible. This is communion. This is our precious Lord who ransomed you. So last thing, it's meaning. Okay, we understand deliverance by payment of a price. It's means in this case in the New Testament. It's Christ's death on the cross and his shed blood. Thirdly, it's miracle, okay? It's miracle. You knew I would alliterate that. It's meaning, it's means, and it's miracle. What's the miracle of this? Uh, I mean, I, I could ask you that, but maybe I'm wording it. What, what's the miracle? Okay, he died. Okay, he delivered me. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. But expressively, in the New Testament, here's the miracle. Is that your sins are What? forgiven. There's the miracle of being ransomed. You say, how so? Well, it's all scripture. Ephesians 1, 7, and these are all online. In him, we have redemption through his, what? Blood. And then it says, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Here's the wonder, here's the miracle. You're redeemed through his blood. The miracle, 
is the forgiveness of all your sins. Listen, I could empty millions of counseling appointments of people who are so guilty, who are so enslaved, who are in bondage to sin and thinking and telling them here that we've been redeemed by his blood. What do we receive? The forgiveness of our trespasses, according, Paul says, to the riches of his grace. You didn't do it. I didn't do that. This is to be ransomed. It says in Colossians 1.14, in whom we have, and there's our word, redemption, and it says what, comma, the forgiveness of our, what? Sins. Here is the miracle. Listen, you can go out at the expo. (laughs) Maybe we could twist your arm, go by the 35 ministries out there. I don't look at it that way. I look at it this way. You ought to be stunned by what he's done for you, amen? You ought to just sit there and say, I can't believe it. I can't believe when he was a teenager in my life, at 14, I got on my knees and he took all my sins. Many years ago, I'm still rejoicing in it. And so out of the joy of what he's done, out of the forgiveness of all our sins, we have the freedom to serve him, not out of debt, but out of his grace for what he's done. Revelation 1.5, to him who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood. There it is. And so here's that great text. We've been set free from guilt, from sin. But you are also, one more thing, delivered from the enslaving power and defilement of sin. He died for all, 2 Corinthians 5, that those who live, this is you and me, might live, no, might not no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I like that. Who live, might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, who died and was raised. Listen, beloved, Christ redeemed us as the substitutionary ransom to free you from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, finish the statement, zealous for what? Good deeds. But it's all built on what he's done. He's released us from our sins, yes, but he did that to liberate us to a life of holiness and service. What a way to be moved to serve this body and to those that we might live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for our sake and was raised. If your sins, yes, and the church, yes, were purchased by his blood, is it worth your labor and service? Yeah, I think so, understatement. Herein lies our motivation for the expo. Can you just praise the Lord for what he's done? Praise God. Why don't you bow your head? I'll call the worship team up.